you've probably heard the rhyme. I certainly have many times. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. And yet, that is not always the outcome for a lot of today's women. And I'm so excited today to have our special guest on, Joy Beth Smith. She's going to talk to us about what it means to be all things single in today's culture. I'm Julie Lyles Carr. You're listening to the Modern Motherhood Podcast from All Mom Does. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. You know, as I was reflecting on your book, one of the things that I think we often do as parents is we talk to our kids a lot about dating. We talk to them a lot about marriage, but I don't know that we do a good job at all talking to our kids about the possibility that they may go through life or they may go through an extended season single. Do you find that to be true in a lot of the people you're interacting with? Absolutely. I feel like I was raised to be a wife and a mom, and I was not prepared or equipped at all for a life of singleness. And so you just kind of get there in your adult years as a single woman or a man, but I haven't lived that life. Um, So you get there and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live this well. And I don't know even what that would look like. And certainly there aren't even models of that that are being held up in the church and being said, like, this is what living singleness well looks like. I like the way you say that, living singleness well. What do you think the typical approach to singleness in Christian circles is today? And why is that perspective possibly not helpful or in touch? Yeah, I think that there are two things that I could say about that. I think one of them is that being single, like we are trying to get people out of singleness. Like it's not living singleness well. It's like trying to migrate them out of singleness and into marriage. And then I think that we prioritize singleness almost like rocks in a vase. Like the marriage is the, are the big rocks that we put in the vase first, you know, and we prioritize them and we put them in. And then singleness is just the little pebbles that we kind of move around the big rocks. And they can fit in wherever they can, but they're never going to be the big rocks that are in the vase. So they can move in wherever they can in the pews, you know, they can take up whatever money's left in the budget, but they're never going to be the big priorities like marriages and like the married people are and like the married programming is. Why do you think we've gotten to that place? I mean, what is it, you know, within the Christian culture that, that has done that? Yeah. I think that it's so well-intentioned, you know, like healthy marriages are important. I will never, you'll never hear me, a woman who longs for marriage, say that marriage is not important, that healthy marriages aren't important. I think that marriage is so important. I think that it's also a lack of understanding of how healthy singles will impact healthy marriages. We can't have healthy marriages without also understanding how healthy singles will filter into that. And married people hopefully will stay married forever, but that's also not the culture that we live in right now, either due to death or divorce. And so we have to have this culture that also says, you know, we value healthy marriages, but these may result in singles as well. So we we are focusing on it's both and it's not just picking one. I do find too that sometimes within singles programs within the local church, it's really more like a dating app. It's really not. <laughs> it's not about equipping for living singleness well. Have you seen that to be true in the different churches you interact with as part of your ministry? Yeah, a girl that I interviewed for the book, she called it a meat market. That's what they call her singles, her singles ministry is a meat market. And it's like, well, that's that's pretty accurate, you know, where you just go. And it's like the whole point of every event was to like, who's new here? Who can I scope out? Who can I lock eyes with for the first time? You know, and I think that when that is the point of the whole singles ministry is to pair you up. That is such a, a lack 
of vision for the singles ministry and it's a lack of encouragement for singles that there's something so much more to this time than to to marry you out of it you know and how frustrating how frustrating for everyone and it's so short-sighted you know and i understand that like i i get that way where i can spend five days out of seven of like who am i gonna marry what am i gonna do but it's like i need the church to help pull me out of that not to further encourage me in it I think one thing that we're seeing, too, is a trend that the church really needs to get responsive about. And I will say as well, parents need to be thinking about for their children is that the median age, the average age now for getting married is trending older and older, which means that even if you have a child who eventually marries, they may spend many more years single than you did or than we're usually accustomed to in, you know, a a perspective of time gone by. So talk to us about the trends you're seeing when it does come to seasons of singleness, how long those are usually lasting, you know, the average age for marriage today, and that single again phenomenon that actually is not a phenomenon anymore in our culture. It's many times a norm. Absolutely. So I think the average marrying age right now for a woman is 28. And then for a man, it's 29, almost 30, like it's 29.6 or something. And I mean, that is significantly higher than it was for our parents' generation, which I think was 26, something like that for like my mom's age. Um, in the 50s and well she was born in 55 so she wasn't married in the 50s um but i think that what it means is that when you know like my like my mom's generation says like well i was married at 22 you know i remember what it's like to be dating and it's like dating was really different then you know and so i think what it what it reminds me of is just the importance of empathy of when i'm expressing my frustrations with my mom about being single and about dating and all of these things that you need to understand and what you need to hear is that it's very 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 different from what you experienced in your singleness and in your dating and so it's not just like well why can't you just go out with another guy why can't you just get married why can't you just do these things and so the advice that's often given is usually really bad advice (laughs) (laughs) because it's just not it's not even in the same we're not even playing the same games anymore that were played when you were dating 20 years ago or when the sweet pastor who married his high school sweetheart or the girl that he met in college and got married at 22 you know it's not even the same experiences that we're living for the girl who's now 49 and is still single we're not even it's not even the same life experiences that are being lived, you know? Right. So define for us what you mean, because I think this phrase is so great, the subtle art of singleness in your new book, Party of One. Yeah. So part of it is that I really like the way that sounded. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and part of it is that I think that when we try and make singleness a like paint by numbers experience of like, here's what your singleness should look like. It should look like preparing for marriage. And so you do that by becoming a better cook and by, you know, like going out on six days, six dates a week and by becoming more submissive and by doing this and staying in a house under, under your father's covering. And, you know, like here's what your singleness should look like in this paint by numbers. And that is going to be when I try and recreate that, it's going to be this like really ugly, horrible mimic of a painting, you know, and that's just not what my singleness was meant to be. My singleness was meant to be my own creation, my own kind of painting. Um, And for whatever reason, God, this was his best for me right now. And it wasn't meant that like in his best for me, I should try and recreate what his best for you is. 
So I had to figure out what his best for me is in my singleness today. And that doesn't mean that I should learn to cook because I'm trying to become a better wife. And that doesn't mean that I should become a better, more submissive person today. Like it means that I should figure out what God's best for me is in my singleness right now. And that might mean, you know, whatever, taking lessons of some kind. I don't know, but I should figure it out and figure out what my singleness and the art of my singleness is for me. And I think that everyone's is going to look really different, just like everyone's creations and pieces of art are going to look really different at the end of the day. But we shouldn't be trying to recreate someone else's masterpiece. We should be like creating our own. Well, and to some degree, I think because we as humans so badly want formulas, right? I can see somebody grabbing hold of some template and thinking that this is the recipe that's going to lead them to their dream man, Yeah, which... Maybe it would, but maybe it might not. And there's not really some kind of formula here for getting to that place. And that might even not be the place that God is leading you when you try to plug in those kind of recipes. So what are the things moms can be doing right now to send healthy, right messages to their daughters and their sons about singleness and married life? So talking about those recipes, I think for so long, we have used those recipes because they're super easy. And I think that we've said, like, if you just if you stay pure, and if you love the Lord, and if you like, don't go too far on prom night, and if you do all of these things, then like God is going to bring you a husband. These are the things that we've like told ourselves and we've told our kids for so long. And at the end of the day, those are lies, we can't continue to pass them on. And I think that it's the responsibility at a church level and definitely at a parental level to stop the perpetuation of those, of those formulas and of those lies and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just refusing to pass this on anymore. And I'm refusing to denigrate the single life to something that's less than, you know, like God might not bring you a husband. And that's okay. The single life is still this wonderful full life. And that might be God's best for you. And so I'm going to encourage and build you up as a son or as a daughter. And I'm going to make you feel great about who you are. I'm not going to make you feel great about the the wife that you may be someday. You know, because I feel like that's what I heard a lot of like, you're going to make such a great wife, as opposed to like, you are such a great woman, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I I think that that was another thing of like, I don't know, I'm still figuring out what biblical womanhood looks like, apart from being a wife and a mom, you know, and so I would love to see that modeled, I would love for someone to pour into me and say, like, this is what it looks like, apart from those roles. And this is how you can live a life that's so full of that, and that exudes that. And you don't have to just do it in these roles of like motherhood and, and being a wife, like you can just do it as a single woman, and it still shines. So I think that modeling that as a mother, to your children and saying like, while you're seeing it in the role of mother, like, I can't wait for you to just do this in your everyday life. And you're already doing it at age seven, at age nine, at age 13. You hit a drumbeat there that is I'm really passionate about. And I do talk to a lot of moms because I am one. My husband and I do speak on marriage a lot because we've been married for quite a while. And we've, we've had some seasons that have been really good and seasons where we've really almost put it in the ditch. And so we we're honored to share those things and those experiences that hopefully will help other people. But you, you really hit on something that has been something I've really come back to no matter what group I'm speaking with that I think is so critical, which is outside of the role, what kind of woman are you? I have the experience of women who once they raise their kids and launch them, they're completely 
lost. Or for reasons that were not their own fault, the marriage blew up and the husband made a different decision. And they have no idea who they are to their core. And I do think that it's something that both our secular society and our church culture has perpetuated. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the healthier woman you are, then that's going to make you the healthiest wife, mom, single person, aunt, co-worker, whatever it is, if we can get to that place and understand what biblical womanhood is, regardless of the role that God might have for us for a season, because there's that place too. I mean, none of us own some kind of territory in mom land, wife land, singlehood. I mean, we, our lives are supposed to be dedicated and given over, and we never know. The seasons change, things change. We never know what the Lord might have for us. So I think that's such a critical heartbeat that you hit on, that place of really understanding what it means to be a woman in God, regardless of the role that he may lead us to. We'll get right back to our conversation with Joy Beth Smith and the exploration of her new book, Party of One. But first, I wanted you to hear this incredible testimonial from someone who has found community, other moms, ways to be equipped and empowered, and she's been doing that through MOPS. I came to Christ through MOPS. MOPS is a loving, safe place where moms can experience hope and joy through fellowship and lifestyle evangelism. When I moved away to a small town that didn't have a MOPS group, I felt God's call for me to start one. After much prayer and with the support of my pastor, we are now starting our own group. I can't think of anything else that brings me more excitement and joy than sharing the light that MOPS has given me. Thank you for your great vision. So listeners are going to want to know, I want to have a snapshot of your journey as a single woman in today's world with today's dating trends. I saw in some of your notes that you have some tender tragedies and dating derailments. So so give me a snapshot. I know that with my adult daughters and my adult sons, I'm getting a view on dating that is really fascinating. We don't have anybody married in our tribe. Everybody's single right now or in a romantic relationship. What does the modern world of dating look like? And how do you keep your courage up? Because I got to tell you, there are some really treacherous waters as, as I've been able to stand kind of back and go, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think treacherous is a is a great word. Terrifying is <laughs> another one that I would pick. Um, I, I have been online dating since I was, I realized it the other day, since I was 19, which is, I was, so I was a baby in that world. Right. And uh, so that's been 10 years. I'm 29 now. And I think I've been on something like 20. And so at this point, I've been on 21 first dates without a guy asking for a second date, which I mean, that number to me, it, I mean, it's only continuing to grow. And it's something where you're like, how does anyone end up married? I don't understand. I don't understand how this ever works out in your favor. I don't understand how at any point, because it's some, some of these guys, it was just like we met online and then a week later we ended up, you know, at a coffee shop getting brunch. So at this point I've actually set up like parameters because I've gone on so many of these where I'll only get brunch at 10 a.m. at my favorite coffee, coffee and breakfast place. And I'll only sit in this one section because I, I had to have like a controlled environment. So even if they are like, let's do putt putt Friday night. And I'm like, no, we're going to do brunch at 10 a.m. <laughs> I'm going to get the pancakes <laughs> because I'm so tired of like all of these uh, things just going off the rails. And I'm like, we, I needed something solid that I could like hold on to. So the pancakes are going to be great. The coffee is going to be great. You might be horrible. But at the end of it, I know, <laughs> I know that this, that these but there things were are quality carbs and that's really what <laughs> needed to happen. I love it. Right. 
So, um, so, but the, so these dates just keep going. I mean, and some of them I think go really well and then he never calls and some of them go horrible and he never calls. And I think that for me, one of the things that I end up like, actually, it's funny that you were talking about this because this year I just bought a giving key and it's the word hope. I was talking about with a friend the other day and I was realizing that I don't actually really know what that word means. You know, like faith, I totally understand. It's like believing that like, you know, Jesus is going to come again and he's going to do everything that he says he's going to do. You know, and love is like selfless love, like actions and all of that. I, I totally get all of that. But the the idea of hope is actually really kind of hard for me because I I never want to expect something of the Lord, um, especially with this idea that like he will have to deliver it. I never want to say like, Lord, you have to bring me a husband because that's the whole idea of the book is that like, he doesn't have to, like he has no obligation to, to bring me anything. And so I think this idea of hope is kind of taking on this like sweet savor for me of like, I, I want to wait on the Lord and, and I want him to know that I want this. Like, it's not like I can hide that desire from him in any way, but I'm not banking on it and I'm not demanding it of him. So I'm kind of like trying to learn how to like fumble my way to this place of hope with him again, instead of like cynicism, um, which is kind of what I was growing into a little bit of like, this is never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like stupidly hopeful and then like drew depths of despair and cynicism. And now I'm back into a, like, choosing to be hopeful, I think, and figuring out what that looks like. I recently spoke on the difference between hope and wish. And they are really different things. But I think in our culture, even within our faith communities, we have actually mashed them together. And it's kind of like sort of a a faith-filled wish kind of sort of with sprinkles. I mean, like, (laughs) and I think that hope is something that really says, you know, our hope is in the fact that God is good. And, and yeah. he's got us and we, we stay there and there can be very legitimate wishes that go alongside in our lives, but, but hope it's something different than a wish. And I think that we do ourselves a big favor when we stand in hope for his goodness. We stand in hope for that eternity he has, but we're not complicating it with a whole dialogue of wishes. And we have mm. a culture that really loves that word wish, you know, mm-hmm. a dream is a wish, you know, and we, we have all these things that we do <laughs> and, and dialogues we tell ourselves that really are not necessarily God, it, God's not under some compulsion. And so I think that's beautiful that you've really looked at that. I know for my kids in the in the online dating world, which by the way, parents, you need to know, online dating, it, it's not some kind of fad. It is here. It is a very huge part of the dating culture. It's not something that is always nefarious or terrible. You know, there, it's yeah. a great way to be able to meet people in a complex world. And some of my kids have engaged in online dating with some success and some not so much, but you really need to be aware of which online dating platforms you're using. I have had a conversation recently with Casey Bree Jensen, who does a lot in terms of digital platforms and technology, equipping parents. And it really is important if you are single or if you are a parent who has teenagers and young adult kids in your world that you're trying to equip in terms of dating, make sure you know (laughs) the overall environment of the dating app that you're using. Do you have some dating apps that you think are particularly good and some that maybe you think that people should (laughs) avoid? Um, I think it so much depends on the type of person that you are. I, I just had a friend get married off of this app called Coffee Meets Bagel. Yes. And 
Yeah, and it's like a pretty generic, like, you know, you're matched up. I think you have like a short amount of time to respond to each other. But it is one where you're like, there has to be a level of mutual physical attraction. It's a short profile. It's not like one of those with like a long profile where you get to read in depth about each other, you know. And so in that respect, the whole question about those kinds of things is like, how do you feel about the idea that there has to be a large amount of physical attraction at first, you know? And so with coffee meets bagel, and then there's another one bumble, which is where the woman initiates, which is like a a big fad among my friends because we're all, you know, feminists and we love that kind of thing. (laughs) Bumble and then hinge is one where you have to have some common connection among your friend groups. You hook up your social media profiles and hinge says like, Oh, you guys have 36 common friends, but you personally don't know each other, you know? And so that's like, that's actually kind of nice because you kind of can vouch for each other. You know, like you have some points of contact where you can go with Caitlin. I know I saw that, you know, this guy named Scott, like, We've been messaging back and forth. What do you think about it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But actually, what what I've been seeing also more common with a lot of the stories I've been hearing has been like um, dating apps and then also just social media. Um, Lots of like, we've been talking through Twitter. We've been talking through Facebook. Like it was a friend of a friend that I commented on his status and we just ended up in a conversation in, you know, messaging. And that's been a funny thing because when you're raised on the internet, you just kind of like figure out how to work your way around it, you know? And, and like, so the idea of meeting someone on someone's status, while it sounds kind of crazy, you're like, but it's really not like, this is a real person. I can see his profile. I, you know, looked at his pictures all the way back to 2007. He seems fine, you know? So, um, it's sort of this real weird world where it's everything from Bumble and Coffee Meets Bagel to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You know, I, I have friends who got married because they met on Instagram. So it's a whole array of things that you just kind of have to figure out how you fit into that and what that is. And, and then there are the tenders. And I actually have a really great girlfriend who loves the Lord and her husband loves the Lord and they met on Tinder, which is seemingly nefarious, yeah. but <laughs> has great people on it too. So... Right. And I, I think the really important takeaway for this, for parents, for those who have someone who is in a sing- season of singleness in their life, is that don't discount and put down the online platforms for meeting people. It's a very important component. And just because that's not something you were familiar with or not a way that you met your spouse or whatever, does not in any way discount the importance that it has on the landscape for today's singles. It's a really important component. So let me give a a heads up to our listeners, all right? Joy Beth fearlessly dives into our next topic, and it's one that we want to give you, the listener, the opportunity to put in some headphones if you're in the car with younger kids who might be listening along, because we want to be fearless, and this is the place that these kind of conversations should have, but we want to give you a little editing note that you might want to stop the podcast for a bit, find those headphones if you've got some smaller people listening. So here's a bit of a pause, and then we're going to take on an important topic. All right, Joy Beth, you importantly and pretty fearlessly take on the topic of singleness and sexuality. And what I love in your book, Party of One, is that you don't just skim over it like it's some assumptive, oh, true love waits kind of drive by. (laughs) And you don't pretend it's only a male issue. So what did you discover in opening up this topic as you were writing the book? And what is important for parents to know in those conversations is they seek to prepare their kids for adult life, either married or single. I am so glad you asked this question because I think that 
the church and Christian homes are often the last place that these conversations take place. And I almost wish that I had written the book. There's like a small part, part of me that wish that I had written the book to the church and to parents, because this is the one part of the conversation where I'm like, this has to change, you know, like I, these conversations, because the church and Christian homes are the last place, these, they should actually be the first, you know, like this, they should be the front line where conversations about sexuality are taking place. And I, and I say sexuality and not sex, because I feel like Christians, um, parents feel like they, because they have the sex talk at some point, you know, like probably four years too late, but they have the sex talk and, it, and it's like enough, like, oh, we, we had the sex talk and, uh, uh, birth control after marriage, it's fine, you know? And it's like, actually there's, there's so much more. And, you know, like your kids ride the school bus and even if they don't ride the school bus, they have friends and they're getting so much information and there's so much out there and there's such a there's so much noise right now in this conversation that they are being exposed to and they have so many questions. And if they don't right now, by the time they have questions, they've already been given so much information that's not from you that they they are forming assumptions and forming opinions um, and they need to be informed and they need to have those things. They need to have information readily available to them, you know, uh, before those questions even are like being formed. So I feel like the parents can and should be on the front line about things like, you know, just sexuality in general, but about like body, like all kinds of like things with the body that I wish I would have like had information on and about um, gender. And I mean, there's so many issues right now with the trans issue and even how gender is formed. And like, I feel like gender is really interesting in the church because we have so many assumptions about like male and female like right just today I shaved my legs for the first time in three months and I was thinking like this is gonna be my next crusade it's like (laughs) (laughs) like what a stupid thing that we've assigned to women of like you have to shave your legs you know and it was one of those moments where I was like this is a dumb female thing that we've decided is female you know and so I think that that's like such a fun conversation that you could have And you look at, you know, the rabbis in the Old Testament were instructed to shave. I mean, you know, everything. So it's it's this really interesting. It is a cultural thing that we have decided in this country is male and female. And then those messages become pervasive in the church, but may may not have provenance in terms of really how God sees us as male and female. Right. And like, we should know the difference and and your kids should know the difference. And especially I think I grew up in an era in purity culture, where that male and female, especially the femaleness, the more female you were, um, culturally, it was actually tied up to like purity, and then holiness and godliness. And so that was a mess that you had to like, figure out for yourself of like, if I'm not this pure and this female, am I am I also less holy, that should never be the messaging that your child is receiving, you know, and so you have such a gift of like presence in your home with your children, to be able to like, from a young age, just being like, Oh, yeah, like, that's a truck and you're a girl, but it's fine. You know, like what an easy sell for you that you could do. And like, I love makeup and I'm a girl, but I hate shaving my legs. Like that's a choice I can make. And you too can make that choice in your homes. You know, I just feel there's so many things, so many conversations, small and large that you can have in your homes. So many questions, so many safe places that you can create. And I think that the church should be the ones to create them because like this culture is crazy. And so your kids are going to have questions 
And how great that you get to be the like receptacle and the meeting place for that. And it shouldn't be scary to you or it might be scary to you, but also like just meet that with, with grace and be like, I have no idea. I've never even heard of this before, but like, let's talk about it and I can Google it and then we can come back together. It's exciting to me that you can have a relationship with your kids where that can even happen. I think, too, that one of the things we as parents need to be very equipped to understand, and I know this makes some parents cringe, but I'm just begging you, hang in there a sec, because this is going to be so important with your children. I think somehow we have almost tried to say, well, if you're single, then the pure route, the holy route is that you are desexualized. And that's that's not the case. You know, we are sexual beings and we make choices through the empowerment of Jesus Christ how we're going to express those things. And ideally, God's best is within a covenant relationship. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to have sexual feelings, sexual urges, see themselves based on their sexuality. And if we want to have kids who weather well seasons of singleness or a lifetime of singleness in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God, then we've got to address that right up front. And for some reason, it's almost like we... I think we're afraid that if we have those conversations within our singles communities in equipping our children that they... It could be that God has for them a life of singleness that somehow we're going to, you know, fan into flame something that would be, you know, <laughs> and it, and the funny thing is it's, it's already there. So let's talk about how to manage mm-hmm. it well. Let's talk about, you know, and you engage and I love in your book, I want to encourage people, whether you are single or not, I really believe that Party of One is a book that you need to get a great snapshot of what the culture is today for people who are walking in singleness right now. And you have a very authentic and very brave conversation with a lot of your girlfriends. I want to encourage our readers to go get that book and, and read read through this great snapshot of where young single women are, because this sexuality conversation is so important. And if we want to equip our kids well, it has to take place. The other thing that we're doing, too, as you know, is, is we're really doing something that's quite interesting. A lot of us as Christian parents, we're encouraging our kids toward marriage, but we don't want them to get married too young. So we've got biology triggering us into kind of those very highly sexual peak years. And then we're saying delay marriage for an additional 13, 14, 15 years. If you look at the average age of puberty hitting around 12, 13 years of age, and then we're asking people to wait until they're 30 to get married. So these are conversations that have to happen with a great deal of openness and a great deal of accurate information, whether you have a kid you think is on the cusp of getting married or a kid that you think is going to stay single, we have to be having that conversation. Now, there's sometimes an assumption in our faith communities that single women in particular are career focused, which is funny. We wouldn't say that about single guys, right? Like whether they're single Mm -hmm. or married, you know, we wouldn't, (laughs) I don't know, it's just kind of funny to me, but it's another one of those things that we do by gender. And, and so if a woman is single, we're like, oh, she's real focused on her career right now. What are some other assumptions that we say that may or may not be true that really don't have anything to do with marital status, but somehow we've applied it in that way? Yeah, the career focused one is so funny to me, because I, uh, I hear that all the time. And I always just go like, what else would I be like couch focused? Like, if I <laughs> if I wasn't focused on my career right now, there there would just would be nothing else. Those kinds of assumptions are so painful, because I don't have a husband right now. And so of course, I'm working and doing things with my life. And there's nothing in that fact that disqualifies me from also being a good wife. And even if I actually really was into my career, like wholeheartedly, 
there's still nothing that disqualifies me from being a good wife, you know? And so these kinds of assumptions, what they do is that they, they make such sweeping generalizations and they play into these stereotypes of, it's almost like the worst parts of, if she's a career woman, then she must be unsubmissive in some way, like lacking submission. Like she must be this like man eater and she must be um, unable to prioritize her family and, and over her career. And she must have all of these things. And it's like, there's so many wild assumptions right there. And I have no idea where you people are even getting that. You don't know who I am. All you know is that I got a promotion last year and that you're willing <laughs> to like count me off. And at brunch, you were, you didn't call me back because you thought I was career aspirational or whatever. I think that there are also assumptions about single women that we, this is another sexual one about how we, you know, like single women won't be sexual and that the man will go into a marriage being the more sexual one. And I actually had a lot of friends who entered a marriage with that kind of assumption. And then they had to work out a lot of shame um, because it ended up being like either switched in some way of like, they had a higher sex drive than their husband or, Something like that. And it was it was something where it was like, there are just a lot of a lot of assumptions around sexuality and marriage um, that as singles, we kind of continue to perpetuate of like, oh, oh, well, you know, I'll be demure and and like passive and just like acquiesce to his his demands, you know, in the bedroom. And um, and that was just not the case for a lot of them. And yet we're continuing to like build that narrative. Well, I think, too, what's interesting, you bring up something that I really like, which is we've been talking about the assumptiveness that many times faith communities can have toward singlehood, but you've really flipped it in a really interesting way. There are a lot of assumptions that singles may have about married life, and they may be putting sort of a an emphasis themselves on, well, if my life were this, or once I get married, I will. So talk a little bit about that, some of the mythology of marriage that you sometimes see the single community engaging in. Oh my gosh. And I think that this is actually like one of the most devastating ones is the idea of like marital bliss. And I think that this one is is hurting married people and single people alike in the church. And it's the idea that like there is this kind of bliss that comes from marrying out of singleness and you finally get married and you're going to just have this like blissful, united euphoria that comes you know and that's not real life there's not this marital bliss that comes and it doesn't sweep you off your feet and it's you know like marriage is hard work and sometimes you want to go in the ditch and sometimes you want to you know like it's great and there's a part of my book that's it's not better it's just different than singleness I have to remind myself of that all the time that this isn't a better version of my life it's just a different version of my life and so good word yeah. And when I'm like crying myself to sleep, and I'm like, I just want to marry out of this, you know, as my like window is stuck, and I'm, you know, alone again. And it's like, no, like marriage won't fix all of these problems for me. And I and I think it's the same thing for married people who are stuck in this like miserable, miserable marriage, and they just want to be like single again. And it's like, singleness actually won't fix all of those married people problems for you. Like it will actually just give you a whole different bucket of them. Um, it's just going to be a, di- a different set of problems. So the myth of marital bliss, it's setting married people up for expectations that marriage will in no way be able to meet. And it's setting single people up for just a a life of discontentment as we sit here and we pine for something that in no way is realistic. Find out more about Joy Beth Smith at joybethsmith.com. And you also want to check her out on Twitter where she goes by the handle JBS2Cents. So that's J-B-S-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S. 
Joy Beth, thanks so much. And you guys be sure and check out her book, Party of One. I'd love to connect with you too at juliliallscar.com and on all the socials under Julie Lyles Car. And you also need to make sure that you're checking out All Mom Does, blogs, socials, all the things. We have these amazing contributors, writers, women who are in the same seasons and stages that you're in, in raising kids, trying to work, got that husband out there, trying to get a healthy meal on the table all the things. And so you want to make sure and check that out as well. A big thank you to Rebecca Beckett. She's our content coordinator and to Donna Toady, our amazing producer. They're the ones who help get the Modern Motherhood podcast into your inbox every single week. Next week, you may remember him from hmm, a particular TV show back in the day. And now he's got many, many movies to his credit and his wife as well. That's right. Next week, we are going to welcome actors Kevin and Sam Sorbo. We'll see you next time on the Modern Motherhood Podcast. Thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that just like you and your family, Purposely is also part of a family, the Krista Family of Ministries. Krista helps kids and teens learn and grow in their faith at King Schools and Miracle Ranch Camp. And Krista shares Jesus with people in the poorest, most remote places through world concern. Krista Senior Living is a community of love and care, and Krista Media is a place of hope on the radio. God is changing lives through these five ministries, and Krista is on mission to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more, visit Krista.org.